What's up, guys? How are we all doing? It's Matt Whitmore here, of course, with the gorgeous Keris Marsden, and this is Fit Food Radio. We are at number 58, I believe. We're bound to get this wrong at some point, aren't we? <laughs> I think I did when I presented it once. I said the wrong number. It doesn't matter. It's just another episode. That's all that matters. <laughs> uh, guys, a couple of episodes back, we had the awesome Dr. Tommy Wood. It was so awesome. We got him back already, just two, two episodes <laughs> later, uh, because it was one of those episodes where we felt we could have just talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, but we had to put a stop to it at some point, uh, mainly because I was pretty hungry. Um, but, you know, t- Tommy had stuff to do as well. But we've got him back. Tommy, how are you doing, buddy? Uh, great, thanks. It's uh, great to be back. Fresh off a two-week holiday, I believe. Yeah, I got to spend some time in the sun, uh, which is nice. Where did you go? Oak Island, North Carolina, which is where my girlfriend's family go for a holiday once a year. It's also where all the shark attacks have been on the oh. east coast of the United oh. States recently, if people have heard about that. So did you swim? Too- mm, not much, a little bit. <laughs> did you? I didn't, I didn't go more than about waist deep. Yeah, good, good idea. And, and, I, and I made sure that some smaller, tastier-looking people were slightly further out. <laughs> Do you know what? It's funny, though. Like, I'm, I'm not, I've not got a fear of the sea per se, but even when we're in Portugal, where, you know, it's not exactly known for shark attacks, I don't like going so far out to where my feet can't touch the floor and I can't see What's the bottom. I just, I just feel, it makes me feel really uneasy. I don't know what it is. It's Jaws. I, it's just that film, <laughs> basically. <laughs> When I did, um, when I started, I did uh, some triathlon training a couple of years ago, and, and the, tri- the triathlon I did involved a sea swim. Um, and so, first swimming in open, so I swam in a pool loads when I was a kid, particularly. But uh, open water, you know, and there's like there's no sides that you can swim to, and you oh, never God, know yeah. where the bottom is. It's, it takes a long. It took a long time for me to get. You just, and you look a, a very bit, creepy feeling. You look a bit like a seal in your wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But surely, like at least dinner. with a triathlon, like, there's bound to be quite a lot of other people, so the odds of you getting eaten would be <laughs> I did reduced. Most of my training on Brighton Beach, I don't think there's many. No, no, I wouldn't have said so. Never say never. It could happen. <laughs> that should be one of the questions we ask you. Why are the sharks eating the people? <laughs> so I did look into this, and it's had to do with the water temperature, and apparently it either makes them hungrier or angrier or something like that. So, it's, oh. so basically, when the water gets really hot, then they're more likely to attack. Oh, really? Global warming, that's not going to be a good thing, is it? Oh, exactly. That's interesting. But uh, back on subject. (laughs) (laughs) Although I do have a big interest in sharks for whatever reason. But Tommy, um, so here's a question, randomly. Do people call you Dr. Wood? Not very often. So is Dr. Tommy Wood? Well, people just call me Tommy. Actually, what about Dr. Said, so, T? I like that. Dr. T. <laughs> when I was, so I've been, I've, I've been Tommy most of my life, but when I was working in a hospital, some people obviously feel strange calling a grown man Tommy, so then I've got called Tom. <laughs> I, I got <laughs> Tom. I've never thought of that, actually. That is quite a good point. Yeah. You, you do just associate with a little kid, don't you? Tommy. <laughs> Tommy. I like Dr. T. Yeah, Dr. We're T. Gonna We're going to stick T. with that. <laughs> Resident Dr. T. Um, so, guys, we did put it out there um, for, for you guys to get in touch with any questions to, to ask today on the podcast. Um, however, hands up, we made a bit of a boo-boo because we didn't really give much notice to kind of get the questions in before this recording. However, uh, we've just been cooking up a storm, busy, busy, busy in the kitchen because we're doing book number two and it's almost done and I can't wait. Um, so that's why, guys, we've just been a little a bit distracted but nonetheless what we're going to do instead there were some questions we're going to save them um, they were good questions but we're saving for another episode uh, and we're going to dedicate this episode today to male 
hormone health and optimizing um, you know, the male hormones. Uh, we often speak about women's hormones and the thyroid, et cetera, et cetera. And we've had a few messages from guys saying, you know, what about us geezers? We've, we've got hormones too. Um, you know, what about us? So we're going to dedicate this episode to... In that masculine voice. Yeah, that's how I read their emails. <laughs> they're, all, they're all cockneys. Um, so, Tommy, um, all good with you? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Of course it is. We we haven't just surprised him with that. Of course he knew that's what we're going to be talking about. That'd be quite funny, wouldn't it? be like, da-da, what's talking about hormones? Like, uh. I, got, I got a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> quite literally. Um, so why don't we just kind of like get into this and no doubt we'll just kind of like feed off of each other with, with questions. I've got a few questions of my own yeah. that will probably... Um, that would probably pop up. But Tommy, why don't you give us a little bit of information about essentially what the male hormones are and then what we can do, or should we say what people are doing to, what's the word I'm looking for? Screw up. Screw these up, more to the point, and then what they can do to actually optimise them and get everything back into check and thrive as a male in modern society. So you want me to just say all of that straight off the bat? Yeah. And then we can go home. (laughs) Yeah. What are hormones, Dr. T? <laughs> so, the, uh, so hormones come in a number of flavors. Uh, <laughs> the, so if you're talking about male hormones, then they're basically sort of fat-soluble uh, compounds, basically. And, and what they do is they cross over a cell membrane and then act in the nucleus to change the way that pr- proteins are expressed. And the ones that we talk about mainly in terms of men, I guess, you know, people always talk about talk about testosterone, right? So yeah. T. Um, and then there's, there's a slightly more active version of testosterone. It can be converted to DHT or dihydrotestosterone, or it can be uh, converted to estradiol, which is one of the main female hormones, but obviously men have some estrogen as well. And it's often uh, the balance of those three in particular, as well as progesterone, which there is some in men, but that's also thought of as a hormone primarily in women because it helps regulate the menstrual cycle. Um, So actually the the hormones are are very similar. It's just the fact that the the balance has shifted so away from progesterone and estrogen towards um, testosterone and DHT in men. So so in terms of the basic regulation, they're they're very similar or they can be very similar. Uh, It's just that the the balance is different. So so as you said, obviously men have got, you know, testosterone and estrogen as well. Obviously we've got more, more, more of testosterone than the other. I've heard people talking about, you know, you know, some people like might use kind of like fancy catchphrases like, oh, lifting weights increases testosterone, um, you know, doing more hypertrophy-based work increases testosterone, etc. Um, but is it that testosterone itself is actually being increased or just the ratio of testosterone to estrogen is, is a better ratio, so to speak? Does that make sense? Yeah, so it, it kind of... All of that can happen. So, so if you, so say if you, if you hit the gym, you can get a, a peak in testosterone and free testosterone afterwards. So, so all the sex hormones are transported around the body, uh, attached to something called uh, sex hormone binding globulin or SHBG. And basically, the amount of that you have can also regulate the amount that those hormones can act because if it's all bound to SHBG, then they can't really do anything. It kind of locks them up. So you can increase your free testosterone and your total testosterone by, by lifting weights. But the interesting thing is that those, those peaks caused by, say, something like weight training don't necessarily relate to that much. So we don't know 
that definitely the testosterone peak that you get after lifting weights, say, then increases muscle mass dramatically. We yeah. think it does, but actually the direct um, the direct proof of that particular peak, um, we're, we're actually not that sure about. And it, it's going to be much more, it's also to do with all the other hormones that are going on, you know, the long-term testosterone levels and how they fluctuate. So actually, like a, so say that say a peak caused by a single weight training session um, may not make that much of a difference, so, you know, in the long term. Can you explain how uh, men's testosterone levels will differ across a day as well? So um, you wrote an article about this recently <laughs> in, in, in how men can look at certain feedback mechanisms as to whether they've got healthy ratios of, of testosterone yes. and estrogen. <laughs> So like all of the hormones in the body, uh, testosterone has like a, a circadian rhythm or a diurnal rhythm. So, so it changes throughout the day. And a lot of testosterone is released actually during the night and it's released during REM sleep. So, um, you know, the sleep where, which we associate with dreaming. So the, the lighter periods of sleep. Um, so one of the, so in, in this article I wrote, I basically talked about how testosterone levels drop, particularly with stress, um, or, you know, any kind of overtraining or, you know, poor health and inflammation and, and all that kind of stuff. And particularly with poor sleep, because actually, you know, one of those reasons is that the less you sleep, the less time you have almost to, to generate and, and release testosterone, because that's when a lot of it's released. So one of the way easy markers to measure that is that we know that when your testosterone level drops below the normal range, um, then it, it reduces your frequency of morning glory, essentially, or sleep-related sleep erections or nocturnal penile tumescence. <laughs> that? That's my, my favourite. <laughs> tumescence, you say? Yeah. <laughs> You're so going to use that phrase tomorrow <laughs> when you wake up. <laughs> I must remember that word. I must remember it. So, you know, let's face it, you know, testosterone is a bit of a buzzword, um, especially with, with, you know, people that do train, um, you know, people that lift weights, whether they're a bodybuilder, crossfitter, whatever um you know in in men's fitness men's health mags you know all those kind of things like it's kind of thrown around all the time yeah. so but <clears throat> i think the truth is most men nowadays uh, are probably you know very below par when it comes to optimal testosterone production just based on you know like body composition energy yeah. levels etc cetera, etc cetera, you know lean muscle mass um, so what can guys do to, to optimize testosterone? Actually, actually, no, I'll tell you what, we'll get to that in a minute. What, what, what are guys doing that's screwing their testosterone up? Aside from obviously, you know, lack of sleep, like you just said. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, lack of sleep is, is a huge one. Um, and I think if, if you're not managing to get enough sleep and that, and that can be very variable from person to person, but if you're constantly tired or you're you're waking up and you're not refreshed for whatever reason. So it might be that you spent a lot of time sleeping, but it wasn't, you know, useful sleep or it wasn't yeah. good quality sleep. Um, and that's very important as well. So, so, so if, if, if your sleep's out of whack, then, then that's probably the, the place that the, the place you could easily start to try and get it right. It's, it's interesting because basically everything else that we talk about being messed up in terms of the modern lifestyle affects testosterone production or can affect testosterone production. So stress is a big one. And that can happen both in the short term and in the long term. So if you get um, a sudden peak of 
involve. Um, if you get a sudden peak of cortisol, so you can do this. Um, they've done this experiment in people. You just basically just inject them with cortisol or ACTH, which is the hormone which sends signals to produce cortisol. It's not very and, nice test to do. <laughs> it's not a very nice test to take part in. <laughs> yeah, just well, I mean, we give people you know cortisol all the time or or very similar things say, if they have. Um, inflammatory diseases or of course diseases. yeah anti-inflammatory yeah um and, and basically what you see is that steroid hormone globulin can increase but also in the very short term uh, free testosterone decreases and free estradiol increases so, so you know through some mechanism you there's basically a switch in terms of what it is that shbg preferentially binds so in that just in the short term a bit, you know a peak of stress uh, seems to be able to to change the ratio of free testosterone to free estradiol, which will then have negative effects, you know, downstream that you would from from having low testosterone. And in the in the, in the long term, you know, it's, it's very similar. So, um, chronic stress. I know um, you talk a lot about uh, adrenal fatigue and, and similar things. Um, and even though it is kind of like it, it's a slightly controversial term, but we but we know that um, chronically elevated cortisol reduce uh, testosterone levels, but also um, if you then end up with any kind of adrenal failure for, for whatever reason, you're not producing enough hormones across the board, then uh, DHEA and testosterone, which is made from DHEA, will, will also drop. So stress is a, re is a really big one as well, potentially. Do you feel as well, though, that like we've always said this, is that you, know, you, you can never really blame one thing, right? Because you know, if you've had a poor night's sleep, chances are you're going you're gonna to feel pretty crappy, you probably feel a bit grouchy, stressed. So then you'll reach for the caffeine. Then you'll probably make poor nutritional Sugar. choices. Yeah. Then yeah. that will knock on to probably having another poor night's sleep. And then it gets into a bit of a vicious cycle. But what would your view be on, let's say you have had a pretty appalling night's sleep for whatever yeah. reason, be it you've been working late or the kids kept you up, whatever it might be, um, and you've got a PT session booked the next morning. How do you get someone to kind of gauge that, you know, in terms of whether they go, do they skip the gym and have a little bit longer in bed or do they go for a walk instead, something a bit more therapeutic or would you still kind of like put them through their paces? So I think, I mean, that's a really good question. And from that point, if we're talking about poor sleep and all the sort of knock-on effects of that, I think there's a big, um, there's, a, there's a link between like what you eat and insulin resistance and testosterone production and that kind of that is you know there's a very sort of intricate web there and as usual everything's linked yeah. um we'll get into that in a little bit but in in that kind of in that setting i would absolutely well i think there's two ways to do it if you're somebody who has a lot of training experience say and and you know your body well and that this is something that you know takes years to develop and even people who, who train for years don't don't develop it but if you if you're actually somebody who genuinely listens to their body then I think you can just be guided by how you feel in the morning. So I often take days off if I just, you know, I haven't slept well or I just feel like I've overdone it or whatever. And, you know, it, it, that almost it sort of that fights my own desire, like, oh, I have to get into the gym or I have to do training or, or whatever. Um, if you're not one of those people who can reliably say, you know, hang on a second, I, I don't think today is a good day to train, and then absolutely something like walking, it would be a brilliant way to, to you know, get some movement in but not sort of overly tax the body. And there's a you know, sort of like anti-stress and anti-inflammatory mechanisms there, which walking can, can help with. 
Then maybe something like HRV monitoring, so heart rate variability monitoring, you can get um, a simple chest strap which will attach to your phone and, and you know, most of them will, will give you sort of like a range like, you know, you're a little bit off colour today or you definitely shouldn't move today or you'll go to, to work hard today. And especially if you, if you start to use that and you track it over maybe a, a few weeks or, or months, then you can get, really get a good idea, you know, and your body will say, you know, today's not the day to train. Just I had a little go um, with one of those, but I stopped it because there was one day I was tired and I didn't want to go for a run and it came up big green light and I was like, oh, I've got to go. I've got no excuse. But I was going to say, because I was going to say Kerry's done it, um, but would you, just for our listeners that don't know, do you just maybe just talk a little bit on, on what that is and, and why that could kind of give you feedback whether you should or shouldn't train? Yeah, absolutely. So basically heart rate variability looks at the amount that your heart rate changes over a short period of time. And it's to do with, so basically as you breathe in and out, your heart rate changes. And, and, it, and it can be almost imperceptible. But if you're somebody who is very fit or particularly very young, you know, if you take a deep breath in and then breathe out, your, your heart rate will change with that. And so what heart rate variability does is it looks at that change over, over a period of time, maybe a couple of minutes. And what that essentially um, is a measurement of, or it, it can be a measurement of, is, your, is the balance between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. So those are the, those are the two. If we talk about um, like the uh, flight or fright system, that's the sympathetic nervous system. So that's like the get up and go or run or whatever system. And that's kind of the one that gets, you know, turned into hyperdrive if, you know, say you're, you're stressed or, or whatever because you need that kind of, it's that extra boost to keep you going, right? That's essentially what it's there to help you survive. Or there's the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite. We call it, you know, rest or digest. You know, that kind of, it's the time to relax. And, and the parasympathetic nervous system is driven by the vagus nerve, which comes out of the brain and basically goes everywhere in the body. And, you know, for a long time, we thought it basically just slows the heart rate because that's what the vagus, that's the, what the vagus uh, nerve does. But, but actually, it goes to almost every organ and it has a number of effects, like particularly anti-inflammatory effects. So it can modulate the immune system. Um, it can counteract some of the some of the stressful effects of the sympathetic nervous system because the two are obviously in balance. So then the the heart rate variability looks at the balance between the two, uh, the sympathetic and and the the parasympathetic. And so what what you get, particularly in the state of sort of like chronic inflammation, um, chronic stress, you know, this I mean this kind of state that we see in everybody who's insulin resistant. Um, obesity, type 2 diabetes, you know, it's very, very um, closely linked to sympathetic imbalance, which is basically an imbalance between those two sides. And so heart rate variability can just give you a simple measure of, of how the, whether those two sides are imbalanced. And if you kind of knock that off, say, because you've had a poor night's sleep or you've been eating badly or you've had a, a you know, crap week at work or, or whatever, or you've been training really, really hard, then that will kind of give you an idea and show that you may be pushed too hard and it's time to pull back. There's one caveat to that, though, which is that aerobic exercise increases heart rate variability. So if you've been doing a lot of, so say you've been doing a lot of um, aerobic running, say your heart rate variability might increase despite the fact that you're overdoing it. So in, you know, in, in high volume endurance athletes. Um, so this, this may have been what happened to you, Karis. Definitely, you guys, you've definitely. You've been doing a, <laughs> a lot of aerobic work yeah. uh, would, actually, would actually move your heart rate variability in, in 
the other direction than you expect, even if you're even if you're doing too much of it, potentially. God, that's a shame, isn't it? Because that's the people that would really need that information to be rather accurate, yeah, and which would need no, know, someone so. else to tell them. You know, you're not you're not fit to train today, or you know, you need a recovery day. But that's hopefully the, hopefully the kind of person that actually eventually listens to their body, like you, Karis. Yeah. <laughs> like, gonna lie on the sofa. <laughs> I was gonna say though, because like you know, imagine on the flip side of what you said, in the actually. So you were saying you didn't, you really didn't want to. You felt tired. You wanted to stay in bed, but it gave you the green light. On the flip side, if you were actually woke up full of beans, felt great, done it, and it was like, no, no, you know, big red light. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. Then you would have had it in your head. Oh, I shouldn't do this, but actually, I've got loads of energy. You know. Yeah. And, and and like Tommy said, I mean, it does just highlight the importance of just being able to listen to your body yeah, and what it's telling you. One thing I was going to say actually, I was just doing a blog this week on um, things you can do to change your hormone profile um, for free, easy stuff, Um, like things like breathing properly, for example. And I came across um, an article, it was on a singing website, um, actually, by someone who was saying how singers use lots of different techniques to control hormone output, like obviously cortisol and adrenaline, to basically, because it would affect their performance so much. It was a really cool website, and the one thing they recommended was was doing 10 press-ups, because um, apparently it helps with vagal tone, and that's not something I've ever heard, as in vagal, the, the phrase vagal tone. Yeah. Um, and still relevant to all the men. I'm not trying to move it back to women or anything. I just want to make that clear. No, so, but. so vagal tone is actually, so that's something that we talk about a lot if you're doing, so I, I mean, I teach medical students physiology yeah. and exercise physiology, and I talk about vagal tone. Because uh, it's basically the amount that the vagus fires um, sort of at baseline. And so if you have a high vagal tone, that's the kind of thing. So if you, so you know all those people who, all those famous cyclists who have like a resting heart rate of 35 or something. Yeah. It's because they have a high degree of vagal tone. So it's oh. basically if the vagus fires a lot, then your, your heart rate is lower. So that's, that's essentially what it means. So if you increase your vagal tone, then you will, then you will start to reverse or you, you will help balance out the parasympathetic versus the sympathetic nervous system. That's awesome. Cause I was quite impressed that someone like a singer was writing about, you know, ex- he said strength training was key for singers and do 10 press ups and do really powerful exhalations on the exertion part of an exercise. And that helps with vagal tone. And the rest was all about things like using music and sleep and everything. It was a really wonderful article and I've used yeah. bits of it in, in mind. Because it's all free stuff that we can do every day. That Absolutely. Know. And that's why, you know, if you think about stuff like uh, box breathing or yoga, um, one of the main reasons why they have the benefit that they do is because of the breathing and breathing pattern. The diaphragmatic breathing increases vagal tone and reduces the vagal imbalance. So... So awesome. that that's is directly linked to that. That's why that's why there's a big reason why those things work, particularly the breathing pattern. So every man should do ten to twenty press ups a day and breathe on the exertion. <clears throat> that's just one step towards Bre- yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing, like whenever I go to yoga, I actually forget to breathe. <laughs> I'm, I'm so focused on trying to get into the pose and then like, she's like, breathe, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oof. So there was another study that I thought I've got to ask you about that said they um, got loads of different men and women to listen to music and measured estrogen, testosterone and cortisol output and said that in men, listening to music lowered testosterone. Um, oh, really? But in women, it raised it and, uh, oh. and it also like, had a beneficial effect on estrogen as well. Uh, that must I, really depend on what music That's is. exactly what I said. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's got to. It's got to. I, I obviously haven't seen this study, but it just has to be. I was going to say, because like, you know, not, like, nothing fine 
fires me up more than a bit of hip hop and and rap when I'm training. You know. To be fair, it was. I think it was. It said um, choose a song that you really like, and they all chose quite chilling, like chill, relaxing yeah. tunes. And then Songs there was another reminded one. Reminded them of their first partner. Yeah, another one was on fast music, and it was saying that elevated cortisol, uh, which would explain why it helps so much with exercise. Nothing that none of us don't already know, but I just quite yeah. like reading it anyway. <laughs> So yeah, listen to rap music, do 10 press-ups, breathe, sleep. Oh, one thing I was going to ask is a lot of guys... You, know, you said one thing I was going to ask three times now. Oh, have I? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I was going to ask. One more thing. The fourth thing I was going to ask was um, a lot of men train at night after work. Um, and I, I know there's a whole thing about um, carb backloading is quite fancy, but when I attended uh, Charles Poliquin's course, he was saying the ideal times to train for the body was sort of around 10 o'clock and 4 o'clock and much later than that and you're affecting the circadian rhythm quite a bit. A lot of men don't really have a choice. They finish work at 7 o'clock and want to go and train so then they're getting home at 9, eating dinner. Um, how does that affect, in your opinion, does that have a negative or positive? Because obviously they're doing the training, which is a great thing. Yeah, so there's a couple of... There's, there's a few studies that feed into that and basically... Technically, he's right, which is which is that the the, um, like the body body temperature is highest, and you get another sort of peak of testosterone in the early afternoons. So they often say that early afternoon or the middle of the afternoon is the best time to train for those reasons because your body's already you know warmed up, and you and you potentially have a peak, a peak of testosterone at the same time. But they've also done studies which basically show that the time that you habitually train, so the time that you normally train every day is the time that you perform best. So if they take all people and they, they make them train at different times of day, overall people will perform better in the middle of the afternoon. But if they take people and train them at all different types of day, they will actually do best at the time that they normally train. So, you know, whatever time you whatever time you can train is the time you should train. Then, uh, there's a recent study that came out, this is actually done in women, I think, but I, I'm certain that it's relevant to all people, which is basically that training improves sleep but not if it's done within three hours of bedtime. So mm. it's that kind of last, if you, you know, you can do it in the evening, but then, you know, try and make sure you at least get a couple, it's at least a couple of hours. Before yeah, I mean, I, I can actually, do you remember a couple of weeks ago and I hadn't trained, but I, I, I did really want to, but I, and I got to the gym at about eight o'clock and I had the worst night's sleep. Came back, had yeah. my dinner as usual, but yeah. just horrendous sleep and I was like, all that rap music you see <laughs> too much cortisol Probably it's, was. All that, it's all that pre-workout man. I know it's still buzzing oh. yeah. it's cranking out a few more press-ups is there anything that people can do because obviously the, the idea of the carb backloading is you have your carbs post-workout and that helps to lower cortisol and is there anything else people that have to train late at night could do to help post-workout maybe I think avoiding Avoiding caffeine, absolutely. So if you're the kind of person that needs caffeine to get going in the gym, then you should definitely be pulling back on probably your caffeine and stimulant use in general. And this is something I, I used to take a lot of that stuff. And <laughs> I feel so much better now that I don't. Um, How much do you drink now? So I have a couple of, maybe two, maybe three cups of coffee a day. Okay. It's fairly strong coffee. But I used to have like, you know, those awful, you know, either like a couple of cans of Monster or some oh, of that. Really? Oh, no. Yeah. So this is, this is... I mean, three or four years ago now, at least. But when in like my in my CrossFit heyday, I you know take huge amounts of terrible powders that would sort of get me going. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not worth it. 
Um, so, so caffeine is definitely something to avoid. And then, you know, if you're going to work out late at night, then I, I think anything which will then, you know, go in the opposite direction. So if you finish with some yoga or breathing or meditation, um, some, you know, mindfulness, anything like that, I think that will help bring that, that again helps bring down cortisol levels, uh, will help sort of reduce uh, sympathetic firing. Um, so, so something like that, I, I'd say. And, and then again, um, if you want something to help make you feel sleepy, then a, an insulin spike really can help with that. So as long as you're not having to cut back on carbs because you have some kind of metabolic disease, um, and then even then, you know, an occasional carb-based meal can be helpful. But, you know, so, so then, you know, have some, have some carbs after you train and, and that spike in insulin will help you feel sleepy. Is, is there any um, supplements that you also suggest? I suppose we should talk about, again, just going back to hormones generally, that men, I know um, most people are sort of aware, zinc and magnesium are mentioned quite frequently as helping optimise, I'm going to say optimise now, testosterone, not boost. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything you suggest? Yeah, that's the. I mean, and that's the key word, really, because most of these things, including zinc, improve testosterone levels if you are deficient. In zinc. But if you're not deficient in zinc, then extra zinc doesn't seem to help. Um, and that's you know, and most of the like herbal testosterone boosters and legal testosterone boosters you can take, most of them, um, it, it's a very, it's a very similar effect. So if they do increase testosterone or they do increase libido, um, it's usually only if there's a deficiency in the first place. You know, as much as you're able, I'm, I'm not really a big fan of those things. Um, it's sort of like, so if people are taking like a herbal testosterone booster, a lot of them work by increasing luteinizing hormone, which then causes the testes to, to make testosterone. And there's some studies which suggest that increased luteinizing hormones, people with high level of luteinizing hormone then have a higher level of, of cardiovascular disease. And it might, it's probably because for some reason, testicles aren't responding properly so the body increases luteinizing hormone to try and get the testicles to respond to make more testosterone so it's probably not the luteinizing hormone itself that's the problem but actually the fact that there's some other and it's probably a metabolic pathway and it's almost certainly to do with um, at least in part to do with insulin resistance and oxidative stress so if, if the testicles aren't working the body upregulates luteinizing hormone that might increase your risk of cardiovascular disease but there were all of these um a lot of these supplements increase luteinizing hormone um so there's a potential that there might be a, might be a problem there um and the, the other reason that i'm not a big fan of them is because if your body isn't making enough testosterone there is a reason it's not making enough testosterone and just taking a supplement um unless it's to fix a specific deficiency you're basically you're going back to that traditional you're going back to that traditional model uh, you know medical model we talked about last time which is basically just fixing the symptom right mm. so unless you unless you you know know there's something you're deficient in and people who train a lot uh, very easily become deficient in magnesium and zinc off a because their diet might not be great but b usually because you can lose it in your sweat and you can also increase losses through the gut particularly for doing your aerobic exercise so then replacing is helpful but you know, apart from that, if you have, if, if you can't really do any digging, then I'd try and fix the basics first before you start to, to resort to that stuff. And there are some reasons why, you know, you will never be able to make test more testosterone yourself and then you have to replace it. And then that's also a good thing. Um, but I'd try and, you know, fix the basics first or, or try and do some testing before just, you know, blindly taking supplements. We say the same to, to women, because obviously for women, they'll be offered generally by conventional medicine, things like the pill, but it's just the same for men. And I've had men come to me and say they think 
they have a testosterone deficiency and they've read about tribulus is the most common one that's I think that's quite well marketed Mm. um, and nettle root and um, I think for a while now I've been reading and I've said you know similar things it's it's just even when people think you've got adrenal fatigue the adaptogens aren't necessarily the answer because you need to establish what caused it or what's driving it in in the first place yeah absolutely so so Tribulus might um, increase testosterone. It doesn't have that. I mean, the evidence isn't great, um, but it might do. In, in, particularly in people who are deficient, you know, nettle, seen nettle root reduces uh, steroid hormone binding globulin, particularly, so it increases free testosterone. Um, but then you need to maybe maybe it's better to figure out why your steroid hormone binding globulin is raised, and you know that might be particularly something like um, insulin resistance increases it. And uh, what was the other thing I was going to say? Oh. Uh, uh, endocrine disruptors. I was going to so, ask about that actually. If you were, um, if you'd done any research into that, because I've got a theory. My hometown, where back in Cheshire, everyone's bald. All the men are bald. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the beard. Yeah. Well, I was saying to Matt, it's, it's a couple of things. Either the beard, the water. <laughs> some sort of um, xenoestrogens in all the because it's all Cheshire's very rural. Lots of fertilizers, pesticides. Um, yeah. And, so, so baldness is, is associated DHT, with higher DHT levels, yeah. so higher testosterone levels. But they've so got boobs as well. That's why. So I thought this. <laughs> they're, so they're all, you know, maybe they're making more testosterone, but they're also aromatizing it, so yeah. they get their their gynecomastia. Um, so, so, um, so. Exposures to the phthalates and bisphenols from plastics uh, do definitely both increase steroid hormone binding globulin and decrease free testosterone. And that's definitely one of the theories for why um, we're getting fatter and more insulin resistant is because we're, you know, we're exposed to more of those. Um, and, and I think it's definitely possible to reduce your, just minimize your exposure to that stuff. So don't microwave your stuff in plastic and don't leave your water bottle in the hot car and then drink from it. And and it's important to remember that stuff like if you've got a bottle that says it's BPA free, that doesn't actually mean that it's free of endocrine disruptors because it would just have some other kind of bisphenol on it, which has almost exactly the same effect. So it's it's BPA free is almost actually a marketing ploy. You said that, I read something that said that the replacement was worse in some ways that, than the actual BPA as well. I haven't seen that, but I have seen that that they actually that they act. Um, very similarly, but it's yeah. perfectly possible. You know, you just take one thing out, and so you can say you've taken it out, but actually, overall, um, the effect is, is is pretty much the same. And it's absolutely, it's absolutely like a total dose thing. So they look at the amount that people say have in their urine. They look at the breakdown products in the urine, and that, if you're particularly if you're exposed to to large amounts, so a lot of the studies are done in like Chinese factory workers that are making all these plastics for us, and that that they're the ones that they see the effects. Um, but if you just take um, they've also done studies in like inner city women, and if they look at the amount of phthalates they have in their urine, then the women with the most phthalates in their urine, their sons, you know, go into puberty later, and they have lower levels of, of testosterone. So it's definitely, you know, that's definitely a, a problem. We often say to people because we've we've talked about this before, and people get really overwhelmed and start having like panic attacks when you know their husband comes home with a plastic water bottle. So one thing we always say is. On um, when we're offering guidance, well, I just say make everything that you use on a daily basis generally. So like your lunchbox, make it stainless steel. Have a stainless steel drinking carton. Um, I'm just thinking for men out there who are just like, oh god, don't give me too much to do. Um, that's what yeah. I can say. Make sure your gym shaker, if you can get a decent, you know, just a, a clean canteen one. Um, yeah, you can get. A, yeah, so your gym. So the problem with the gym shaker is that gets really abused. Then you know. Maybe it sees a dishwasher. It probably doesn't. But 
but when it does see a, a dishwasher, then you know that kind of stress when you when you heat the plastic up, that that causes it to release more of the stuff. So it, it's just a case of you know just just be more more careful about it, but don't you can't get stressed about it because you're never going to be able to remove it. Yeah. You know? So you know if you if you're uncertain about the quality of your tap water, then filter it. You know the occasional bottled water. You know, making a protein shake in a plastic bottle isn't absolutely isn't the end of the world, but just just kind of minimise your exposure as much as possible. And a really um, other another supplement that's quite well marketed at this sort of thing is DIM. Do you have sort of any opinion on that? DIM. What's yeah. that stuff for? Oh, don't ask me to say the whole thing. It's it's. It's from the it's, yeah. <laughs> it's DIN. Yeah, it's methane, which is you know the component in cruciferous vegetables like broccoli, uh, cauliflower, yeah. and it helps. Yeah, yeah. With um, so for men, it would be it's basically estrogen metabolism. Um, so yeah, in men, yeah. it's just basically helping in terms of ratio of yeah. So it, so it, so it can pre- I think it can prevent aromatization of yeah. testosterone. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, again, I don't think eat lots of cruciferous vegetables. I'm not sure how strong the evidence is for that. Um, but there's definitely you know if if you're a guy and you need a reason to you know eat more cabbage or broccoli, then uh, it absolutely doesn't hurt. It, so the a lot of the metabolites in cruciferous vegetables have a, n- a number of bene- beneficial properties like increasing mitochondrial function or mitochondrial biogenesis and, you know, if it's decreasing aromatization of testosterone because um, they do they do add that to uh, certain testosterone boosters, I think, because particularly because of the, the extract works in rats. Mm-hmm. And all of, this study, all of these studies are done in rats, you know, the the, the the strength of the evidence in humans is, is actually usually fairly minimal. So, but you know, if it, if if it gives you a reason to eat Brussels sprouts, then why not? <laughs> you like sprouts, don't you? I love sprouts. Love <laughs> um, so you mentioned earlier, Tommy, mate, about um, just saying getting the basics right, sorting out the basics. So, what would you say the basics were, or your kind of initial kind of go-to areas to, to help a guy optimize his testosterone? Yeah, so we've talked about sleep, we've talked about stress, and we've talked about uh, sympathetic imbalance. So just in terms of making sure that we're doing things that will increase our vagal tone, tied into that and also separately important is exercise. Yeah. Um, and exercise has a, no- a number of potential benefits. So one of them is, say, uh, that, that sympathetic imbalance part, increasing vagal tone. Increasing vagal tone decreases inflammation and inflammation increases insulin resistance and insulin resistance reduces testosterone production. We know that in people who have who have high insulin levels, which suggests that they're resistant to insulin, particularly if they then eat a lot of carbohydrates. So if you have a glucose spike whilst you whilst you have high insulin levels, that can suppress your testosterone production. Huh. So the important variable there appears to be the insulin level to start with, which suggests that people are insulin resistant. So then you should do anything you can to try and improve insulin resistance. And exercise is a really important one of those. So uh, both weight training, aerobic training will increase insulin sensitivity and will help you clear blood glucose um, and also have those anti-inflammatory and, and antioxidant stress uh, components. But you can obviously overdo it. So if you go too much in the other direction, then testosterone yeah. levels will drop, like we talked about. So exercise, sleep, and then the next one absolutely has to be food. And so basically anything which increases inflammation it, in the long term have a negative effect. If you, so, so like we talked about before, if somebody has metabolic problems, then they should probably be um, reducing carbohydrate, carbohydrate intake. So if, if somebody is particularly, so the typical, the typical person that I see is having this kind of problem is a guy 
you know, middle age, maybe somewhere, you know, anywhere sort of mid 40s to, to 60. Um, and he's worked hard all his life and he's eaten badly and he maybe hasn't done as much exercise as he has and, and, and as he should have done and, and he's and he slept poorly. Um, and then he's ended up with a lot of metabolic problems and along with that, you get low libido and, and, and poor testosterone production. And this is the kind of person who would maybe benefit from um, a cyclical carb intake or lowering carb intake. Um, and alongside that, then obviously you need to make sure that you're at least balancing your omega-3 and omega-6 intake, uh, making sure you're eliminating any foods that are causing, that you, that you have an intolerance to or an allergy to. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody has to remove all grains or all dairy or, or, or anything like that, but it just means um, keep, keeping an eye on things that affect you. And that's probably the best way is to start with an elimination diet and then slowly bring things back in. So the kind of diet that you guys recommend, like a basic sort of paleo template, is a great start. But I also think just people just starting by, you know, eating real food. You know, you kind of just whatever whatever you can get that's a real ingredient and you turn it into turn it into food, you know, actually cook it yourself. I think that's that's gonna be the, the main the main start for people. And, and you know, as you do that, you also remove all those kind of potential ingredients that can maybe affect your gut or can act as endocrine disruptors or, you know, any of those kind of strange additives that we're not really sure what they do. And, you know, we could say, you could argue for days whether they do or don't have an effect. And I think it's, you know, for many people, it's often better to just at least start by by minimizing exposure to them and then, and then maybe you can worry about, you know, bring them in a little bit more later. So real food and, and often you probably don't need to worry too much about, you know, various ratios or how much of whatever just actually just start by, cooking again yeah and then on top of that exercise sleep stress reduction um i mean that's going to get you most of the way the sad thing about uh, what you just said is a lot of guys in that position that 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 client or that person you just described their first point of call to lose weight will be a low fat diet which yeah. is is probably going to be a bit of a disaster in terms of, of hormone health um but most of them are still yeah. following that sort of main media line of, of cup but i just know somebody who came to me recently and and he was all about calories and low fat and and he was losing weight so he was really convinced it was the way forward but it was a lot of processed foods yeah and low so low fat and uh cutting calories in in the long term are absolutely not the way to try mm. and optimize hormone, uh, hormone production testosterone production and uh, you mentioned um just a ago about additives and stuff and, and i've always kind of like said this with regards to post-workout protein shakes because you know a lot of them on the market are just jam packed with utter shite to be to be frank um which is kind of ironic because you've spent the last hour in a incredibly catabolic state as it is breaking down muscle tissue and then i've always said the second that workout finishes you want to then become as anabolic as possible as quickly as possible yet the first thing most people do is just shove a load of chemicals and flavors and additives and god knows what down their neck um so what would your view be on like um like post-workout shakes for example it's a really good question because a lot of a lot of studies have been done looking at, say, some of so, so let's talk, so whey protein. It's probably the best studied and probably has the best evidence behind it for a number of reasons: high leucine content, which will increase the insulin production, which is you know anti-catabolic and, and pro-anabolic, um, and ha- has a sort of a complete amino acid profile. And if you give it to people like type two diabetics, you usually improve you know increase satiety, improve glucose metabolism. So actually, there's a, there's a lot to be said for it. But when they're giving it in these studies, it's often, you know, some kind of pre-made will have some artificial sweeteners in it, you know, and maybe some flavorings and colorings and, 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 and but still seems to have a beneficial effect. 
So it's kind of it's very difficult to, to single out and say, do you know what these these things are actually bad? So I, so I don't think you can really and and the evidence behind artificial sweeteners say being bad, they're unlikely to be good for you. But if people aren't going to eat something else, they're probably not that bad. So if you're the kind of person who isn't going to be able to get home and eat a real meal, then something like that could be a stopgap. But it's absolutely not something that you should be reliant on. And I think always eating you know, real food or a complete protein, like some eggs or something, is going to be ideal. So, it, so it's kind of difficult. I think if you're if you're not going to get home and eat, then they're okay. But it's not something that I would use all the time. And I, I would always, you know, if, if you're looking at ways to kind of completely overhaul your health and your lifestyle, then actually, you know, being in a position to eat some some actual, you know, real food as soon as possible after a workout is going to be a big part of that. But so, you'd still advocate a, a, a protein shake. Yeah, I mean, do you have shakes yourself after a workout? Yeah, I, I do actually. And if you, you know, I, I think if you can get a good quality one, then you should. And I think they absolutely can be worth it, especially if you're not getting your protein from other sources. But in terms of your total, say, muscle growth, what really matters is the amount of protein that you get over the, the next 24 hours, say, mm. after your workout. Yeah. yeah. So, so the immediate that immediate post workout anabolic window is is a bit of a myth. Yeah, is really. it a bit of a money maker? Someone was saying as well. No, but... no absolutely. Yeah. And so you don't, you absolutely don't need a protein shake. You know, if you don't eat, you know, an hour after your workout, you're not going to lose all your gains. Uh, but if you're not going <laughs> to eat for hours after your workout, you know, a protein shake is probably worth considering. Can I ask as well? Because it's now bodybuilding's getting really popular. And that's with men and women, and people have just sort of going a bit crazy with these sorts of things. I know you just mentioned that you you prefer real food, but what you're what we're seeing a lot of is uh, people having their three meals a day, but then they're having three protein shakes, two Quest bars, you know, like more protein. They want to get bigger, especially the guys, bigger, bigger, bigger. What would be a, a sort of side effect, like, side effect to that? Because it, it does worry me. These are all, when you're trying to stimulate growth in the body, there are side effects to that. And, you know, there's... You, you, you grow it's happening to your organs it's cell proliferation like you know i'm not going to say the it's going to cause cancer but that's you know there's been a few people who've podcasted about that sort of thing and said it's not natural to try and grow our bodies this quickly yeah and that's absolutely true and there's you know the real one of the real benefits of something like intermittent fasting which does have some some reasonably good research behind it is it's mainly uh, having a period without protein intake because some of the amino acids can particularly if, you, if they're eaten in excess, can, can, can cause problems. More than about 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilo of protein per day it, it is, is unlikely to be useful. It isn't going to help at all, even if in somebody who's training a lot. Really? So, say if you weigh, so say if you weigh 70 kilos, as like the average man, we say he weighs 70 kilos, 100 grams of protein a day is going to be plenty. Wow. And you don't need more than that. And, and past that point, then, you know, Particularly if you're somebody who struggles with metabolic health, then protein is just an insulinogenic macronutrient, yeah. which you probably don't need. So then, you know, maybe it's better, you know, eat some more vegetables or eat some more fat instead. Um, and it, as long as you're getting, you know, your 100 grams of protein, then then that's plenty. God, that's completely against, not, not against, but most people I hear advocating protein are up at sort of two grams per kilo of body weight for men. And then because yeah. most women are training like men these days, they're not far behind. So Yeah, so 
the, the evidence behind that is actually very poor. They, they have some, done some studies where they give people like four grams of protein per kilo per day. And they see, and what they showed is that it doesn't affect blood glucose regulation that much. So that protein isn't then turned into glucose, if right. you see what I mean, in terms of gluconeogenesis, which some people worry about in terms of eating too much protein. But in terms of like the benefits on muscle growth, you know, they're minimal. Wow. Mm. Just, you just saved us a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> What about then uh, with regards to carbohydrates? Because I often feel these days that it's something that, I mean, men and women, I think, are getting incredibly wrong because, you know, for a while it was it was fat that had the bad name and then it was then it's carbs that had the bad name and now there's a kind of bit of both being thrown around. And, yeah. and, and I just think actually a lot of guys now are kind of favoring fats and, you know, don't get me wrong, fats are, are essential and, and guys do generally tend to do better than women. But then I, I feel they neg- neglect carb consumption and I feel like their, their performance starts to suffer. Um, what kind of impacts would um, a lack of carbs have on, on a male on a man's hormone profile, you look. So, if you looked at sort of extreme um, carb restriction, uh, a drop in testosterone or an increase in steroid hormone binding globulin, and which which might then have some potential performance effects. But the main the main thing that that's going to come from is from is actually from calorie restriction rather yeah. than from carb restriction. Um, unless you're somebody involved in a power sport, you know, if you're if you need that glycolysis, that immediate carbohydrate glycogen, so your sprints, um, potentially even things like powerlifting, weightlifting, um, probably bodybuilding. Although there are some bodybuilders who are you know who are you know doing great and looking good on um, a ketogenic or low carb diet. So it just takes some time to adapt to it. Uh, so so I think the main problems are going to come from calorie a calorie deficit rather than carbohydrate uh, restriction in itself but that will have to tailor to the sport that you're doing because if you if you are if you are in a glycolytic sport then you need you need you know maximal glycogen levels or near maximal glycogen levels to perform it to perform at your best that's, sure. that's crossfit as well that has been so most crossfitters are sort of trying to do very strict paleo i think and and sometimes just not getting enough calories in and and like you yeah. said, and, mm. and neglecting the carbs a little bit if you're doing if you're doing CrossFit multiple days a week, it's, and again, especially if you are in good metabolic health already, then I mean, this kind of carb phobia I think is really has really been blown out of proportion. And then there's there are lots of lots of variables that are important. Um, and you know, eat some carbs. You know, if you're if you're a strict paleo, fine, or you can eat your sweet potatoes and bananas, but make sure <laughs> make sure that you eat enough of them. Actually, I was doing a, a look at um, different. Uh, carbs, uh, paleo carbs, and plantains are up there. They're like really dense source of carbs. It's up there with grains. I, think, I can't remember what it was. It was like one plantain was nearly 100 grams of carbs, like the big ones. So that's not bad post workout. A whole plantain. I love plantains, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if plantain will be considered paleo, but it's always on the menu. So. Oh, I think I think it is. is it? You can fry it in a little coconut oil. Good. You know. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so tell me, mate. Um, so you mentioned as well, and I talk about this all the time with regards to stress and sleep, but I still think it's something that is so heavily ignored from men when it comes to optimizing body composition, um, hormones, increasing training performance, etc., etc. Could you explain kind of just how 
just how much of a negative impact um, kind of like chronic stress and lack of sleep can have on someone's testosterone production. And even, yeah, you know, so, growth hormone as well. And, you know, we don't even just have to talk about testosterone. I was also going to say, and then can you, could you maybe mention how you manage your stress? Because you've got a lot of work on, you're doing a PhD, you're a busy guy. And so how does a bro chill? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, so in terms of chronic stress, I think that there are some, a really nice study that I referenced in, in, this, uh, in this article I wrote. Uh, and it's basically looking at army rangers, so these are guys who are on, on you know, being trained. Um, so, so they're on, um, you know, whatever. I think it's like four or, or six week training camp. And these guys are eating three to four thousand calories a day, but they're getting four or five hours of sleep, and they're sort of training all day, or they're hiking, or marching, or on doing whatever. It turns out that they're on about a thousand calorie deficit. They're sleeping five hours a night. You know, despite the fact they're eating 4,000 calories a day, and you know they're constantly in a high-stress environment, and I think that transfers. And, and what you see is that their testosterone levels, uh, in a short period of time, within weeks, dropped outside of the normal range. And you know that sounds extreme, but if you are a guy with a high-stress job and a family, sleeping four hours a night, training every day, thinking you're eating plenty but probably in a calorie deficit, you're in exactly the same scenario. So I think the combination of all those things can have a dramatic effect on, on your testosterone. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's exactly the guy who ends up with extra fat around the middle. So he's, you know, clear signs of an insulin resistance. He's the guy who you say, well, you know what, he, he, run, he ran four marathons last year and then he had a heart attack. You know, it, it's, it's those people. And, and, and part of the reason is, is probably to do with uh, a, a drop in testosterone. And through that, you know, signaling back to things like like insulin resistance, which is probably key to all of these things. So, so those combination of factors. Like, so, any one uh, you might be able to deal with if you if you can then compensate in other areas of your life. But the combination is what's really killer, and mm. I, I think it's probably more common than we think. So then, what I do, I I'm, I make sure I sleep a lot. So if I don't sleep well, I try and nap if I can, or I try, you know, I, I don't then go to the gym. Um, I also, like most of the time I eat a fairly low, so I kind of cycle my carbs because that kind of, it helps me, it helps me sleep, but it also helps me perform at work. So I, I generally, I generally eat my carbs later in the day because I'm one of those people that gets a, gets really sleepy after a, a carb heavy meal. And then I find that I'm just not productive at work. Um, but if, if I keep it for later in the day, then, then I feel much better. Um, and then also I, I give myself, t- so even, so I'm doing a PhD, um, I have a lot of stuff to do. I you know, do stuff like this. Um, but you know, if I'm just like, do you know what I need an hour or two or three, maybe I need a whole day to just watch Netflix. Then I, I let myself do it. Um, and I have no scientific evidence to support watching Netflix for a whole day. Um, but you know, if at the end, you know, sometimes just like the body just doesn't want to be pushed any harder so i just i just let myself you know what it's 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 quite funny that you mentioned that because today i got up early this morning done some work went to the gym now my workout came back and the first thing i done was put my pajamas back on and i walked down the stairs and i just thought god like i just want a day in front of the tv watching netflix And I don't, and I want to just, I don't want to come out of my pajamas all day long. Yeah. I'm, I'm really craving a day like that at the moment. But we and can't. So, I think, I think... so then just let yourself, let yourself have it. Uh, it's all right. You'll be more productive afterwards, I'm certain. Cheer that, Kirst. 
<laughs> I was going to say, I don't think many guys like sleep and stress management enough enough credit. But then I think when they do, when it dawns on them, they are a bit more selfish in a good way about it. Like I think guys are a lot better at going. Do you know what? I'm chilling out today. Whereas women just, just do not do that. It's like a you know another world to them. But I don't know. But I, I just think men just don't maybe do it enough and realize how effective it is. Like Matt would always usually favor it. You normally favor a workout as a stress release mm. than going and sitting in some woodland and omming for an hour. Yeah. Not that that's how you chill out, but I've got a question. Um, Maybe you've had your quota of questions. Alcohol. Today. Yeah, we've got yeah. to talk about alcohol. So <laughs> Sorry. I was going to say, with alcohol, so back to the, my hometown where they drink too much beer, um, which is a little bit estrogenic. Is that right? Would you agree with that? A little bit. Very estrogenic. Yeah, yeah no, so it's particularly, it's particularly the hops in beer have an estrogenic effect, yeah. And then red wine with its resveratrol has more of a, a sort of, it, is it, I think it, is it support? I don't know, I can't remember if it's a blocker of aromatisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it can be. Probably not in the doses that you're getting in <laughs> red wine. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that, that's just what people want to tell themselves. So yeah, what would yeah. be a sensible recommendation when it came to alcohol? Um, obviously, we, we tend to say drop it out when you have a fat loss goal. It's just not doing you any favours. Um, but do you think going forward when people are in maintenance phase, what could, what men, what, how many beers can men get away with basically is what I'm asking. <laughs> what, uh, oh yeah. So, so there was, there was a, an interesting study which came out, um, it was last year, year before, but they basically took, um, college age to like guys in their mid twenties and they made them do a hard squat workout and then they gave them like seven shots of vodka, uh-huh. which, and it increased their testosterone levels. Um, so then this is kind of saying that, oh, if you work out really hard and then go and get smashed, then that would increase your testosterone. Don't do that. <laughs> you just made um, every man's day there. <laughs> you just have to be, it's like you just have to be honest with yourself. You know, if having, so I have, um, I've, I've worked with a guy who has had a fairly um, hard life and, and wasn't very well for a long time and then kind of reined everything in and was doing much better. Um, and he's in his 70s maybe and you know he um, one of the things that he did was once or twice a week he met a friend and had a pint down the pub and that was you know socialization you know a a time to relax and and whatever and you know I was never going to turn around and tell him do you know what you should stop going to the pub and having that pint because I I feel like there's there's, there's, there's benefits there that, that we aren't even aware of or we can't even sort of measure yeah so i think if you're going out and you find yourself getting drunk you've probably you've probably pushed too far but if you know once or twice a week you know it's a social thing or you know it's part of enjoying a meal with a loved one or a friend or whatever then then i then i don't see any problem with it and it's often the knock-on effect as well isn't it because you know if you have gone out on a bit of a bender your food choice is normally in the kind of 12 to 24 hour period after that don't tend to be uh, kale <laughs> smoothie. <laughs> and that's what we always say to people. It's not necessarily the drinking. It's the kind of 24 hour onslaught afterwards of, of crappy pro-inflammatory foods that yeah. probably, you know, don't do you any favors. Awesome. I think we should wrap up there. Covered a lot. We have covered a lot. Nice one, Tommy. That was awesome, mate. Um, but I'm glad you mentioned the stress and the sleep because I, I, I go on about it so much to people. It's you know, it's not just about training and supplements to to boost no, testosterone. Um, in fact, actually, um, 
a few years ago when you know like I've, I've written a blog about this when my testosterone testosterone levels uh, were certainly taking a massive battering because i was training loads of clients not eating as much fit of food as i do now definitely was, was stressed and i wasn't getting anywhere near as, 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 as much sleep as i should um you know and i read your blog the other week about kind of like morning wood and uh you know mine was non-existent you know to to put it out there which as someone in their kind of early to mid-20s you know is no good thing um so i kind of immediately i mean once i cleared my diet up anyway that there was definitely a difference there because naturally less stimulants less processed food i started sleeping better uh that had a positive impact on my energy um but i also did massively kind of like step back on my training um, and I actually went down to two sessions a week, literally like on a Monday and a Friday, just two full body sessions a week. And in between, just like lots of walking, et cetera, et cetera. And like you said, went back to basics, got everything else in check. And it was just a matter of time before I was in a good place and then I could start bringing the training frequency and the intensity back up again. Um, so it just goes to show, I think, you know, it's not that you need to kind of ease back on your training for years or six months or whatever it may be, you know, even just a couple of weeks, I think in some, some people can see a huge positive impact. So, you know, don't be afraid to take your foot off the pedal a little bit. Yeah. If you're, if you're a guy, say, who's really worried about body composition or, or building muscle, you know, there's, there's some very good studies which show at least a trend towards more overall better body composition and, and building more muscle. If you take, you know, you do some deloads, you spend some time pulling back on training. So, you know, and then during that time, you probably, you know, have maybe more time to sleep, maybe even have more time to, to eat better. You just have time for your body to recover. Yeah. So actually t- taking those periods is, 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 is probably crucial. And there's, there's some great evidence to support it. So, you know, if you, if you, you know, you get to a point where, you know, as a, as a man of any age, you probably shouldn't exhaust it the whole time and yeah. get you know no reaction downstairs when when something exciting happens. So if that's happening, and you're somebody who trains a lot, then you know it's definitely worth worth putting back on it, and, and you will definitely and you'll probably you'll probably you know gain muscle and feel better as yeah. things start to you know to, you build when you rec- when you recover, right? Not when you're in the gym. So. Well, exactly, exactly. Um, I, I can imagine uh, Netflix is going to get a surge in subscriptions <laughs> after this. Boost testosterone. It should be in their marketing. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I have one more question. I know you're going to kill me, Matt, but it is really relevant because this has been on like um, this morning TV in Britain. It's about laptops and men putting their laptops on their testicles. Is it frying the testicles? Do you know what? I actually haven't seen any studies on that. But... Apparently halving sperm counts. Yeah, so so basically having basically increasing the heat of the testicles does reduce the sp- sperm count. So if you're especially if your laptop's overheating and most of them do get pretty warm, yeah. then it is probably having an effect. Especially if you're spending many 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 hours with the laptop on the lap. If it's half an hour, it's probably that much, not that much of a big deal. What the effect that you know all those kind of if we start talking about electromagnetic frequencies and gets very scary all that kind of stuff, <laughs> which does get very scary, and you know there is potentially some something there, but at the moment we can't really say one way or the other. It's definitely something that people should look into more than it should be researched more than it is. Yeah. Um, particularly depending on how hot it is and, and your your amount of use 
That's, that's me done. I'm not going to come up with any more now. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Finished. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but Tommy, before we go, buddy, um, we're very, very proud to say that Tommy's going to be presenting at our Fitter Food Academy on the 21st of November um, here in London again. Um, so thank you so much for that, Tommy, mate. And why don't you tell our listeners what you're going to be speaking about on the day? Oh, yeah. So what I'm – the title of my talk is going to be uh, Never Say Never – uh, it's uh, nutritional gray areas and the randomness of nutritional science. So it's basically going to be talking about um, some of the gray areas in like paleo and, and more traditional, say, nutrition recommendations, but also go through some of the things that maybe aren't correct, like fearing saturated fat and, and, and particularly um, the reasons behind that being why it's almost impossible to actually get any useful information out of most nutritional research and sort of <laughs> why sort of some of the reasons why why it's why it's a problem to get why it's actually a problem to get sort of useful useful information when, when you're looking at big populations of, of people and, and of data so kind of sort of covers sort of a lot of the questions that people have about what they should and shouldn't be eating and why you should maybe not worry about it so much and, and how you can sort of tailor that to your to your own personal lifestyle I mean, that's the key bit awesome. right there, isn't it, is yeah. being able to adapt it to you as an individual, you know, because a lot of people think, you know, oh, well, that worked for Tracy, so why isn't it working for me? And yeah, really fun, and then they stick to it for months and months and months before a light bulb goes off and goes, actually, maybe this just doesn't work for me. Yeah. yeah. Lots of people do ask Matt and I what we eat, and that question has come in for you as well. What does Dr. Tommy eat? <laughs> and I think it's because they want to mimic it, thinking it's some sort of perfect model of nutrition but it when I write about what I eat I say this works for me because this is my lifestyle but you know it's not your lifestyle and it's not it's not it's very different for everyone so I think as well people will start to learn that there's there's so many variables with kind of like your nutritional intake and it can vary from day to day based on so many things you know just your taste as well you've got to like what you eat and that's you know what we want to have yeah definitely so Awesome. No, but guys, definitely check it out. Uh, Headtofitfood.com. Um, we've got Tommy's just one of the many awesome guests we've got on the day. But check out the website. Well, we should have it up. Full details very, very soon. Um, limited spaces, and it's going to be an epic day as always. It is actually my mum's birthday. She's going to kill me. I'll, I'll take her out in the evening. To <laughs> keep her sweet. Um, but Tommy, thanks a lot, buddy. Once again. Yeah, um, thank you. No doubt, we'll we'll love to have you on again because you know you're just a wealth of knowledge, and there's there's plenty more we can talk about for sure. Okay. Awesome. Guys, please, please, please uh, leave a review, subscribe, share this episode, share our podcast with anyone you feel that will benefit. We'll, we'll be forever grateful. And it's Tara for now, and we'll see you at episode number 59. See you later. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't know whether to say bye or not. <laughs> bye.